This past week, uh, I've had a, one conversation, one particular conversation, about seven different times, if I, if I counted correctly. Uh, and that one conversation has to do with something very, very important that has touched every one of our lives this week. Two words. Spring forward. <laughs> because I am, I hate, I can't, I can't, I can't overestimate this, I hate daylight savings time. And I have had to repeatedly argue my point over and over and over again to all those wrong people that say, yeah, but it gets dark too early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're wrong. Stop. So this is the thing. I've I, I realized it's, it's fun because uh, everybody has an opinion on it, uh, and most people are wrong because they don't agree with me. So I'm just going to make sure we're all on the same page today because I'm going to give you my reasoning of why daylight savings time is wrong. It's just dumb. We shouldn't do it. We should never do it again. I see a, a, a young man over here nodding his head, and I agree. He agrees. We good. We're on the same page. All right. Awesome. So this is why. Now, we're going to get to a homily at some point tonight, but just we gonna, I have a microphone and a, and a captivated audience, so a captive audience. So we're going to listen, okay? So this is the thing. I, I may not have done well when I was studying engineering, before I entered seminary, but I did listen just enough to remember these two things. Uh, in physics, there are two things that govern the world, right? Two things that govern the world. The physical world is governed by two things. One is time and one is space, right? Those two things govern the world. We can try and manipulate them all we want, but what happens? Time and space are objective things that govern the world. That's why we can study physics, right? Okay, with that, there is nothing more American than, or, or nothing more like in broken human nature than saying we're going to take time and try and manipulate it for the sake of productivity. Why? Because people said for the longest time it would get too dark, too early, so let's push basically our time, let's manipulate it so we have more daylight so we can be more productive. That is dumb. Okay? So I'm just making sure everybody's on the same page. All right? So... I lay this out because I personally believe that this whole concept is a, it, it, it's something that actually points to a deeper reality. It's something that daylight savings time, I think, is a symptom that points to a deeper reality, namely of something that most human beings, I know I, and so if I'm projecting, I'm sorry, but I know I struggle with. And that is this one thing called control. We want to be in control all the time. Even of something like time and space that we can't control. So we manipulate it. We want to be in control. I know me. How does this look in my life? Um, if you ever ask any of my friends, you ever ask any priests that I hang out with, anything like that, the, the, the one thing they will all tell you is that I am the guy who always likes to drive. We're going to go to a movie. We're going to go eat out. We're gonna, I'm going to drive. Look, I volunteer. I don't mind. I'll pay for the gas. It's all good. But I'm a drive. Why? Not because I'm really nice. Not because I don't want to let them drive. It's number one, I don't trust them to drive because have you ever ridden with Father Eric? I'm just saying, all right? And secondly, I get to dictate when we leave and when we come back. Why? 
because I am secretly a control freak. Now, the secret's out, so I'm just letting you know, all right? But what? Don't start over there. Anyway. <laughs> said shocker. <laughs> anyway. So, I'm just saying, there's a, the, the, but I, honestly, I think this is something that it's in our human nature that we want to try and control the situation. How many times have you walked into a, a conversation and you knew it was going to be hard and played out the conversation a thousand different times? Trying to figure out, well, if they say this, then my response is this. Or if they say that, then I'm going to say this. Or if they say that, if they open that door, oh, wait. <laughs> it's, going to be a, it's going to be a bloodbath. And I'm going to win. There's nervous laughter, I hear it, right? <laughs> it's because I honestly think there's this, there's this tendency for us to want to control. Control in our relationships, control in our career, control in our life, whatever it is, we like to control. But what ends up happening is, is that tendency to want to control ends up seeping in and affecting our relationship with God. And God basically looks at us and says, you want to control? Go ahead. But I'll be here waiting for when you let me be God. Today, our, our, our gospel, actually, is really funny, because today, when we look at these, the, the way in which people react to Jesus, we have, these two peop- we have these two kind of classes of people. One is the blind man, and one is the, the group of Pharisees. And the Pharisees want to control. The Pharisees constantly in the Gospels, over and over and over, are trying to be in control. They're the ones that are trying to make sure that everybody follows all the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, then you're in trouble, right? We're going to cast you out, as they do to the blind man today. Like, they, they, we are the ones that can punish you. We are the ones that are in control, not God. The thing about the blind man who I really want to focus on today for us, the blind man can't control. Think about this. A man born blind. Now a man was born blind. So he's got 20-something years, let's say, of living blind. He, he, he can't be in control of anything. Anything. Money, food, shelter, clothing. He can't be in control of anything. He is absolutely 100% powerless and out of control. Because he, he, he can't. He has to trust someone else to do everything for him. Like, imagine what it would be like to be a blind, first of all, just to be a blind person in general for an extended period of time. Now, think if you were poor, destitute, you had nothing, and you had to beg. You hope that they're putting money in your little cup. What if they take it? You don't know. Absolute destitution. Absolutely pitiful. <clears throat> Absolutely no control. I, I think, as, as I've been reflecting on this, 
um, I, I think we can, we can know what that feels like. In fact, I, I think, I'd be willing to bet, that every one of us in this church tonight recently felt that space of being utterly powerless. No control whatsoever. Because this past week we had another anniversary, because three years ago, COVID. Now, I want to think about this from the standpoint, I'm going to preface this by saying, I want to think about this from the standpoint of 2020, March 2020, not March 2023 with, with politicians and arguing and vaccines and mask mandates and, and all the arguing and, and, and spitting and, and anger and everything else that went on and has gone on for the last three years, okay? But if we think back to the very, very beginning of what was going on, no one knew anything that we were walking into. No, no one knew what it was going to feel like to, to say that churches were going to be locked, schools were going to be locked. But we did know that people were going into the hospital and not coming out. No control. None. I, I remember, uh, because I was at St. Hilary, which we had a hospital in the front of the neighborhood, I, I remember the first time I went in to anoint somebody who had COVID and, and who was ultimately ended up passing away. And it took a politician to call the president of Oshner Hospital, to call the, pre, to the, the, the person who was running that particular hospital, St. Anne, to give me express permission to move the nurse out of the way to let me into the room. Because the nurse said, I, I can't in good conscience let you, Father, walk in. Can you anoint them from the door? Uh, having, uh, watching loved ones have to say goodbye and, and I love you through a, through a screen. Like those kind of things were hard. And no one was in control of what was going on. Because very, very quickly we, became, we, we came face to face with what it was like to, to, to be completely reliant on something other than our own capabilities, our own faculties. Now, now I'll bring that up today, tonight, not just, to, not just to rehash like old things, but I'll bring that up tonight because what I, I think it, we're hearing in today's gospel is something that actually gives us a lot of hope in the face of no control. I, I truly do. Because one of the, when, when we hear today's gospel, when Jesus enters into the life of this man that's born blind, right, into this destitute, sad, kind of pitiful situation where this man has no kind of hope, no kind of prospects of getting better, right, and Jesus enters into this man's life, we hear this really interesting moment that happens. We, we hear that Jesus, he makes spittle, he makes clay out of spit, and dirt. And he, and he puts this clay together, puts it on the man's eyes. The, a man goes to wash and then he can see. Now, we, we, we hear that and we might think, like I do, firstly, gross. Because the, you're making mud and, and making mud pies and spit, putting it on his face. It's kind of nasty, right? But one of the things that, one of the, things that the Jews had a, a, a tradition of when they would read Genesis 
was that when God made Adam, on the sixth day, when God made man and woman in his image and likeness, right? when he made Adam, that what he did, he didn't just form him out of the dirt, but he formed him out of the dirt and spittle. The creation of human beings, the creation of man and woman, from the very, very beginning in the Jewish world, in the Jewish mindset, was that God made mud, and that's how he formed the man. That's how he formed Adam. So when Jesus does this, it's hidden in the, in the gospel a little bit if we, if we don't read it from a Jewish context, right? But if we, if we read it with the right context, with the right lens, when Jesus enters into this destitute situation, Jesus is saying, I'm going to bring you to be a new creation. I'm going to be the one who's going to instill a new creation in this world. Basically saying that the corruption and sin and death that came in with, with original sin is not going to win. That's why I'm here. So he makes mud and heals corruption in the flesh. Bringing about hope, bringing about new life, bringing about like, new prospects for this destitute situation and lifting the blind man up. Now, now why is it important for us because what it, what it tells us is that God, right, it, when Jesus comes, Jesus doesn't come for, for anything short of wanting, of, then, of wanting, doesn't come for anything other than wanting to make us a new creation. Right? Jesus doesn't come for anything short of wanting to recreate you and I more to be like Him. That's why when we, when we come to baptism, baptism is the most important day of our life. Because what happens? We, we hear it explained so often to, to young people, right, that baptism is, is, is a wiping away of original sin. It's like a stain that is now Cloroxed out, right? Like that, that's kind of the image that we hear about. But baptism actually, what it really is doing is, original sin is not a thing. Original sin is a lack of a thing. Let me say it again. Original sin is not so much a thing. It's not so much a stain. Original sin is actually a lack of a thing. Like sanctifying grace is sealed off. It's like being, it's like having a faculty, right? Our, our, our sight be missing. So when we are, when we're baptized, what's actually happened is we are being restored to new life in Christ. We're being restored. We're, we're now capable of receiving new life in Christ. We're now capable of living in sanctifying grace. So when we're baptized, we receive something that we didn't have before. Divine life within us. We forget that dignity. We forget that dignity a lot. Because what happens is, is during the course of our life, as we grow up, and we all know this, well, I, I know that I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I know that divine life lives within me. That's awesome. That's great. But life can get hard. Life can can kind of be rough sometimes. Life, a lot of times, can put us where, in a space where we're not in control. So if I can't be in control, I'm going to grasp at what I think is control, or grasp at something that might numb it, or grasp something that might distract me from it. 
See, when we grasp at these things, because we're out of control, we call that sin. We, we lose the sense of, of dignity. We lose the sense, the, the sense of sight, if you will, that we gained of seeing God first and foremost as our primary. And we start to grasp at these other things because this is hard sometimes. But gambling could be easy, or porn could be easy, or drinking could be easy. We find ourselves going to these empty wells trying to satiate a thirst that's never going to fill. It's never going to work. This morning, I actually, when I was, I had my, my dog this morning when I brought him out, actually gave me like a little bit of like a epiphany with something. Um, thank you, Padre. Right? Like I, I, when I brought him out, um, he must have heard a dog, another dog in a neighborhood, or must have saw something because your boy all of a sudden, like he perked up and went to run. Now he was on my, le- he was on his leash. And when he took off, when he got to like the end of the leash, because I have one of those like little spiral things that like just kind of rolls out, and and when it got to the end and it caught, like he just he stopped, right? Now he it didn't mean that he wasn't trying any hard, like he was trying to get to whatever he saw. He was trying to get like he was he was pulling at the leash, so I just pull him back and okay, he comes back, he does business, whatever, okay. But it made me think about it like what, when, we're, when we're in this Lenten season, when we're, when we're striving for our relationship with God, what can happen is, is that, okay, it, it comes Ash Wednesday. We just come off of Mardi Gras. We're all excited. we got the dirt on our foreheads. We're ready to go. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And what happens? We want to lean into our relationship with God. So we start sprinting towards Him, and we start getting really, really excited. But then all of a sudden, those sins that, we have, that we're still holding on to, those sins that we're anchored down to, what happens is, boom, they pull. Now I've got to choose. Do I let go of the sin? Or, or to, like, do, can I let go of the sin? Or, or, but can I reach Jesus from where I'm at? Is this close enough? Because we can't control it. <laughs> We try and control by, by saying, I'm going to keep holding on to this one sin. I'm going to keep holding on to this one thing that I think medicates it. I think makes me feel better. I think for at least for a little while makes things okay, right? If we keep holding on to that, well, guess what's going to happen? We're never going to get any closer to it. And we're not satisfied by that, and God's not satisfied by that, but for some reason I just can't let go. Maybe if I lean a little bit hard, uh, it's, the temptation's still there. It's still pulling back. We, we, we've hit the halfway point of Lent, right? We, we now, we're now past the halfway point of Lent. And now, now in the second half of Lent, the back nine, if you will, like we're, we're, we're now going to be preparing a little bit more intentionally for, for Holy Week. And, and I want to encourage you, if you have not, if you have not done this, I, it's like the secret of Lent, the best thing you can do during Lent is to go to confession. Now, I know I'm a priest and I'm supposed to say that, but if, if it, I don't care if it's been 10 minutes or 10 years since the last time you've gone to confession. But just for a moment, I want, want you to hear, like, God wants to work a miracle in your life at Easter. I'm, I have no doubt about that. If Jesus Christ can resurrect from the dead, if he can defeat sin and death and everything in between, if he can make the devil cry because he resurrects from the grave, he wants to do the same in your life. 
And the best way to expose ourselves, to open ourselves up to that kind of grace, is to be able to look at the Lord and apologize and let go of those anchors, those sins, those struggles that we have. So that we can lean into our relationship with Him. Just for tonight, as we're, as we're going through the rest of the Mass, what's the sin that's holding you back? If you go to confession regularly, what's the, what's the sin that, that, that you confess every time you go to confession? Is it, is it one of the big ones, right? Like the, the pornography or, or, or the drinking or the gambling. Or, or is it one of those kind of things? Or is it something like gossip? Is it something like I, I'm, I'm addicted to control? I'm more concerned about money than relationships. Whatever it is, for a moment, just, just ask the Lord tonight, what would your life look like without that sin? Like, what would your life look like if the Lord could work a miracle this Easter and you could let go and leave that sin behind? What, what would it do to transform you, your marriage, your relationships? How is it that the Lord could work a miracle by you letting go of that, that, that favorite sin of yours? Because that's what God wants to do in our life. The first step for us is to be able to go to confession and be able to say, Lord, I'm offering it to you plain, plain and simple. I'm going to name it. I'm going to give it to you so that I can receive forgiveness. I know I receive forgiveness in confession. This is the thing. The Lord wants to work in all of our life. Like He, he wants to work in, in your heart, in mine. He wants to continue to be at work in us. Sometimes all we've got to do is, is, is be able to name the sin and let go of it. What we note, what we hear in today's gospel, what we heard in last week's gospel, is that God's not afraid of whatever situation we find ourselves in. He's not afraid of a blind man that, that had no control whatsoever of his situation. He's not, last week he wasn't afraid of a, of a woman who had had multiple husbands and the man she was with wasn't a husband. And she, he, he wasn't afraid of any of those things. Jesus is not afraid of what we could give him, of what we've done. Or what's happened to us. But he does want to meet us and heal us. He does want to touch us in the places that we're, that we're most sensitive and most hurt. He wants to restore us to life. So tonight as we come to this Mass, let, let, let's approach that Lord with, with, a, with a sincere faith. With an openness that says, alright God, like, like I want you to work a miracle in my life. Come and meet me. Come and touch me. Come and speak truth into the places that I need it. Easier said than done, but all we have to do is let go of those sins that are holding us back. And God's ready to receive us and to reveal His love to us. May tonight as we come to this Mass that, that, that we approach open and ready to receive His love 
his Eucharist, and most importantly, his mercy.